Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast. In this week's episode, Dom speaks to Holly Bradshaw, one of the UK's most successful pole vaulters of all time. They talk about the world of pole vaulting and crush some of the common myths that people often think about the sport. Holly has competed in three Olympic finals, winning a richly deserved bronze medal at the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. She has also won a European indoor gold medal and represents Team GB in multiple global championships. In addition, Holly is the UK's record holder at 4 meters 90 and has a staggering 13 national titles to her name. Outside of competing, Holly recently achieved an MSc in sports and exercise psychology. What I really enjoyed about this episode and speaking to Holly was when we recorded it at the National Running Show South was I went into it, obviously, uh, knowing about Holly and, and listening to her talk, but I actually wanted to take a deeper dive into pole vaulting and social media, which when you listen to this episode, you'll see that we do. And I was staggered, and I'm sure that people listening to this will be as well, with some of the things about pole vaulting and the inner mechanics and things about the actual poles and the competition and the, and the people that do it. At the things that I had no idea about, and I'm sure people listening won't either, about how they transport it and how many there actually are and how there's different uh, classifications of, of each pole. And I found it really interesting, so I hope, I hope you find that interesting too. And uh, one of the other things that we spoke about was social media and how social media and being on TV and, and all things about image really affected Holly uh, in her competing and how she actually had to take a break and, um, and now how she uses social media to be quite positive. Also, what I found interesting that we've spoken to about uh, with other guests on the ONA podcast, but uh, it was interesting hearing from Holly's standpoint was the experience of the Tokyo Olympics. We know it was empty, we know it was difficult, but just how regulated it was and just how different it was to any other sort of championships or games. So, yeah, looking forward to, to, to going into that with Holly and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. But just before we jump into the episode, I want to say a massive thank you to our season sponsors, Dry Robe. Designed to let you get changed anywhere, the Dry Robe Advance is an essential piece of kit for outdoor adventurers who need to stay protected from the elements. The Dry Robe Advance is like having your own portable changing room, where the oversized design gives you plenty of space to get changed in and out of your sports gear. Versatile enough to be worn as a jacket on those chilly race mornings, or just sitting by the campfire in the evening. The waterproof and windproof outer protects you from the elements, whilst the super warm lining will keep you toasty pre or post run. From surfing, wild swimming, to triathlon, paddleboarding, or even walking your dog in torrential rain, the Dry Robe Advance is for everyone. Without further ado, let's get straight into this podcast. Holly, thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. Before we go into all of the awesomeness and pole vault and chat all about things like that, I've actually got some quick fire questions that are kind of to do with fitness. Some of them are not at all to do with fitness and stuff, but four or five questions that are kind of quick fire type things. So if we start with them, number one, hot or cold weather, what do you prefer? Hot, definitely. Favourite cheat food? Cookie dough with ice cream. Oh, yeah. Like that. Do you ever just have you ever just made cookie dough for cookies and then made it, or is it like the ice specialized cream ones? Yeah, I will. Well, I'll go to like a go-to place in Loughborough where they have like where they make the cookie dough or Bomb Bomb, my favorite coffee shop. She was actually on um, Bake Off the Professionals and her cookies mm, so good. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can yeah. definitely tell that that's your yes. go-to. So my go-to. <laughs> What's your least favorite workout? Oh, easy. Anything like metabolic, so circuit training um, and like longer runs. So it might not seem long to you, especially because people here at the running show do like 5Ks, 10Ks, whatever. But 
200 meters that's way too far for me and (laughs) anything off like really short recovery so we do this horrible session where we run the diagonal of a football pitch jog the straight run the diagonal and I've seen that before on social media and it just looks the fact there's no recovery I just can't I've got like a bit of sport induced asthma but because I'm a pole vaulter it's it doesn't really affect me if I was really good at like 1500 meters or whatever I think I would have to like take an inhaler every day it would affect me but because I'm a polar, it doesn't. But those workouts, I just can't Killer. breathe. <laughs> What's your favourite social media? Um, I think at the minute I'm really into Instagram. I think it goes in like waves, but at the minute, yeah, Instagram is my favourite. Do you have a least favourite? Do you have one that you're just like, I'm not using that or it just annoys me? I think TikTok, like a lot of my friends are into that at the minute. I'm just like... I would just spend hours getting lost in it. And while some people enjoy that, I think that'd just be really bad for me. It's like a, a, a digital casino because there's no time on it. It's just, you just keep flicking through and it, yeah, it's, it, yeah. <laughs> you get yourself into a rabbit hole. Yeah, I downloaded it during lockdown and I could feel myself getting into a rabbit hole. And I was like, do you know, I'm not, TikTok's not for me. Like I'm not a big person that I'll do like piece to cameras or like dance or whatever. So I just think it doesn't really fit my personality. And I was like, I'm just going to get, drawn into this so <laughs> delete it. <laughs> and then final quick fire question what olympic sport would you like to do if you weren't doing pole vaulting that is a good question i think i'm like really into either the climbing or the skateboarding i know skateboarding is really new but i watched that at the olympics this year and i was hooked it was so good it was amazing mm. it was amazing and the, the climbing as well that's that's i can't, can't believe that it's just yeah. like drift up crazy yeah i do enjoy climbing so yeah, I think that would be a fun one to do. Nice. So back into why we're, why we're here, why we're chatting to you. Pole vaulting is seems to be the sport that you, I always look at the Olympics and go, how does someone actually get into that? So the question is, how did you get into pole vaulting? Yeah, I think everyone I ever meet wants to know that because you see me on TV or you see Mondo on TV and it just it's so far removed from what anyone can think like you you do the 100 meters you'll throw the shot put you'll kick a football you can relate to that whereas the pole vault you really can't and the way in which I say is to kids or whoever if there was like a massive like a river and you were like trapped you like needed to get across it grab a stick plant the stick into the river and you kind of like swing your body weight on it to get to the other side that's how you start pole vaulting on whatever day you pick up this big pole it doesn't bend you just run in from like four steps plant it in the box get onto the bed and then it's kind of a journey, probably over like a year of t- gripping up a little bit more on the pole, coming in from six steps, coming in from eight steps. Then you get more confidence, so you come come in faster. And then there comes like a tipping point where the pole starts to bend a little bit. And I think what you see on TV, what I'm doing, it's like a journey of like two years to get to that. And I think it's people think it's scary because they try and put themselves in my shoes right now, coming in with this big pole, planting massive bend. But it really is a very slow burning process of like confidence and speed and gripping up. And yeah, that's kind of how you get into it. Is it easy for young people, young people that are into athletics, but maybe not sure, like, okay, they're good at sprinting, but they're, you know, maybe not quite a thing, or they're strong, like good upper body strength or whatever, but not fully into one. Is it quite easy to get into pole vaulting? Like, are there avenues for young people? There are avenues. I wouldn't say it's easy. I think it's a lot easier now than it was when I was getting into it like 12 years ago a lot more people know what the event is and there are a lot more coaches about there's more facilities more poles I think the hard thing is a school can't afford to have a big pole vault bed and buy the poles and a lot of clubs can't 
but I do think it is more popular now and a lot of athletics clubs will have the facilities to just get into it and then it's kind of once you get into it and become you know, make the transition from a beginner to an intermediate then you probably have to travel an hour to go to a proper coach with the proper facilities because the thing is my club for example they were like right we want to get people into pole vault we, we were going to fixtures and there'd be no one in the pole vault not just from Blackburn Harriers from everywhere so they were like if Holly can just get over the opening bar she gets max, max points it seems like a no-brainer so they yeah. bought three poles which to me is just crazy like I personally own 40 to 50 poles oh, and wow yeah and in a competition I'll use 10 poles I don't just have one so like the fact that the club bought three to try and cater for what however many people different heights different weights is crazy but yeah it's for a club to then buy however many poles for each athlete is it expensive so you want to go somewhere where there is already like a bank of poles and you can borrow poles and whatever because it I mean the thing that's interesting about pole vault is you there is all these nuances like you just were surprised then at how many poles I have yeah and like, I bet you don't know that there's like different weights and different lengths and different stiffness and all those kind of things. So there's like lots of little like intricate details. Does that depend on what sort of a pole vaulter you are as such? I'm sure within within the discipline, there's different techniques and people do yeah. different things. So is that based on that or is it how you feel that day? And like, do you have loads because they break or is it how you feel? Because I can relate it to, so, so for example, cricket players, batsmen, will have not just one bat, they'll have seven or eight different bats because it depends how it feels and it depends how, like, different things like that, which people don't understand. Is it a similar sort of thing as that? Yeah, exactly. Like, if you put the top ten girls in the world side by side, we're all using different lengths, different stiffnesses, because I weigh this, yet another girl is 10 kgs lighter than me, so she needs a smaller pole, and another girl loads the pole more, so she needs a stiffer pole, versus another girl who jumps a slightly different way. And then personally, on any given day, if there's a really good tailwind, I'll need my bigger poles. If there's a headwind, I need my smaller poles. If I'm feeling really good, then I need slightly bigger poles. So there's all these different variables that play into what pole works on what given day. So you just have to, um, like as a seasoned pro athlete now, I'll take eight or nine poles to a competition because I kind of know where I'm at and and that covers all bases. But yeah, over a period of time and like when you're a beginner, say like if you followed myself over like a six year journey, the amount of poles that I would need to make that step up, it's probably like in the hundreds. So you have to go to a club like in Loughborough, for example, we have a big cupboard and there must be close to a thousand poles in there that covers a range of beginner girls, beginner boys, intermediate girl boys, pros, and then all these different like styles of jumping so transporting them when you're going to olympics which we'll talk about in a minute but is that must be a stupid stupid question do they break down or is it all transported in a weird way no i think a lot of people wonder whether like telescopic but i'm not sure like how (laughs) that would work i don't think that's very safe (laughs) no um it would be a lot easier if they just folded up and went in my bag but unfortunately (laughs) they don't so i have to i have a big drainage tube like like the one you see at the side of the motorway and that kind of protects the poles on their journey. And then there's a bag over the top and I literally strap them. They're like five meet, five and a half meters long, strap them to my car on the roof racks. And then one of the tra- most challenging things about being a pole vault is travel logistics. Like I always envy long jumpers or runners who just travel with spikes. And then I'm in the airport going up and down escalators and going to one end of the airport. Oh no, this is the wrong place. Go to another one. Are they on the plane? 
you know, it's this massive long bag and the amount of times I've seen them just sat on the sat by the plane and I'm like, are they going to go on? Please put them on. So it is stressful, but it just almost, I don't know any different. I've been a pole vault for 12 years um, and it just kind of comes with part of the job, but it, it, it is hard and stressful. Um, but luckily so far, I've never lost a set of poles or had one poles broken yeah. which is quite common actually in pole vaulters i can imagine the pole vaulting community is it quite small so when you're going around and competing world championships and olympics and different events do you get to know the same people from different countries that you're competing with all the time is it quite a good kind of close-knit community yeah i think the pole vault community both male and female are very close knit. i think probably the closest kind of group of athletes within all the athletic disciplines mm-hmm. I think we just have a shared understanding for how hard this is. The stress of um, traveling with poles, the stress of the event that we're doing. We're not out there trying to put each other off. We're out there supporting each other. I think the good thing with pole vault is, and I always say this, because people are like, how can you be happy for your competitors? How can you be friends with them? For me, when I'm stood on the runway, it's me versus the bar. If Kat Stefanidi, the um, Rio Olympic champion, or Katie Najat, the Tokyo Olympic champion, goes before me and clears 490 good for them like Mm. I've not I can't control what they do they can't control what I do but all I can focus on is well I better get my ass over 490 now and Mm. pushing each other yeah there's no point me being sad or angry at what they're doing because it's me versus the bar every single time it's different in the track like for example the 800 meters I'd be annoyed if someone pushed me and I tripped I'd be like okay that was a bit we just don't have that in no, the pole vault. No, there's not so. someone standing with their leg dangling out in the no. middle of the track. <laughs> so you can just be like happy for each other and it makes it so much easier. We're out there for four hours. We travel the circuit together. We spend weeks together. It's just nicer to be able to chat to them over breakfast, play board games. I spend, when I'm on the circuit, I spend pretty much all day with Katie Najat. We share a room together. We hang out. We gossip. We watch, we watch the same things and it's just nicer that way. Is that nice thing about the Olympic, um, the Olympic, uh, areas where the where where, they, where you stay um obviously i can imagine it was different in tokyo and we spoke to kadena cox about the paralympics on in 2020 when she was on the podcast and she said it was a really different environment in tokyo yeah it definitely was and for lots of different reasons i remember katie texting me and said do you want to go get a picture by the Olympic rings together? She's like, totally understand if you don't because of COVID, but I'd really like to get a picture. I was like, look, no, let's go get a picture together. You know, I trust you. I know you've, you know, you're not someone that's went out partying and got COVID or whatever. So, and it, but it was just weird that, yeah, she, we had to like almost, Oh, is this okay? Should we be doing this? And that's really sad. And yeah, normally I'd hang out with, she could come into the team GB house and we could hang out, play games and vice versa. And that just wasn't allowed. So that was kind of, strange and we were told to like sit in our countries yeah you you shouldn't really be mixing with other countries which is totally different to other olympics which i like the social side of it and luckily i have really i'm really good friends with kat uh, kjt adam jimmy and pause and they're all obviously team gb so we could hang out and i could get that social aspect from them but i think a lot of i reflect back on tokyo and of course it was an amazing olympics it was I am a pure athletics fan, so the fact there was no crowd there, I wasn't really, really gutted and down about it. it. We were there, we were there fighting for the medals, every single athlete there. They weren't doing it because of the glory and the crowd and waving at the crowd. They were there to, to win those medals, and that's what I love about it. But the fact that I couldn't share the medal-winning moment with my mum, dad, and my husband, Paul, who were meant to be there, they yeah. had tickets, and they don't often travel abroad to any competition 
So that would have just been really special, which was I reflect back on that as being a bit sad. Yeah. So you two Olympics before made it to the finals, but Tokyo twenty. 20, obviously in 2021 was when the bronze medal came how was that feeling yeah I mean to I've always been like the nearly girl ever since 2012 I finished pretty much top eight top six in every single major champs whether it's worlds or olympics you know sixth in London fifth in Rio fourth in Doha seventh in London world champs I've always just come so close and a lot of those major champs have been medal winning heights but I've just lost out on count back so com games I I, I got the same height as a bronze medal um, jump but just was on count back same in the world champs in London same height as the bronze but lost on count back so I have come really close and I always knew I was a, a med I always thought I was the standard of a global medalist a chance, yeah. and, I, and I think not, not that I would care what people think but a lot of people doubted me and throughout my journey and the ups and downs I doubted myself whether maybe I wasn't good enough to be a global medalist but I kind of kept believing and then the fact that I got bronze in Tokyo I kind of said this to my coach and I said I openly say this it didn't matter whether I won gold silver or bronze the emotions would have been absolutely the same like I'm an Olympic medalist this is what I've worked for this has all been worth it and it just was a very special moment. Be interesting to tap into that mentality because it like you said you were getting potentially critiqued from from outside were you critiquing yourself Were were there points where you go yeah, I, I believe I'm a, I'm a medalist, but is this ever going to happen? And then when you did finally get that, obviously that relief, whether, regardless of what medal it is, do you now think, oh, okay, I've done it now? Or is there that want to go and do it again? So I think, yeah, I always thought I was, uh, I had the ability in terms of like, I was fast enough, I was strong enough, I was mentally strong enough to win an Olympic medal. But what was letting me down was my body and, you know, I, I see people who are the most talented athlete ever, like they eat really clean, they're really strong in the gym, but their body just lets them down. And I'm kind of one of those athletes. And I think it's the same as someone who is really, really good, but isn't just fast enough to win an Olympic medal. Like for me, the robustness and how healthy your body can stay is a really important part of that. And you can be the most talented athlete ever, but if your body keeps letting you down, then you aren't good enough to be an Olympic medalist. And I kind of, that's the way I looked at it was every injury I got was, you know, although I thought I was good enough to be an Olympic medalist, maybe I'm not. Maybe my body just can't handle the power that I'm asking of it. And maybe I can't win a medal. But I think one, once I did, I was like, yeah, I always knew as long as I could stay healthy, I was good enough. And sitting here right now, if I was to retire tomorrow, which I'm not doing, I'm absolutely happy with what I've achieved. My two main goals were global medalist. So I've ticked that with the Olympic um, medal and then to jump 490 and break my PB, which was nine years w- waiting for that. Yeah, I can I can rest easy now that I've achieved two lifelong goals. And I think the next two years for me is I don't have any goals. I don't have any medals or ambitions as to what I want to jump or the medals I want to win. I'm just curious as to what else I can do. Can I go higher? I think so. But if, if I can't, then that's also fine. But I think for me, it's what can I do now? Can, can I jump 495? Can I jump five metres? Can I win the uh, Commonwealth Games? Can I win an, another Olympic medal? I don't know. Let's go and find out and that see. Freedom. And it's just kind of the, that relaxed attitude. You know, I've worked so hard. I've had to be so disciplined for so many years, so tunnel vision to win, to, to like achieve the goals that I did last year. I just want to be like a bit, and this isn't to say I'm being unprofessional. I'm going out drinking every night, eating KFC. I'm the same athlete, but I'm just more open-minded as to what I can do, which I, it's, I think it's healthy for me. And 
I can just go and enjoy it now. Like you said, you've had a long time doing that, that full intensity and you're still doing it to a that certain degree, but almost that could work in your favour where you have a more relaxed. You say, there's no pressure on this. I can go out and try and see if I can push boundaries. So that, that could potentially work in the... Not in the opposite way, but to, to, to yeah. better you. It's just a different way of doing it. Like, I think part of the reason why I've won the medal is because I'm so meticulous. No stone unturned approach. I go to bed at this time. If my friends are going out to the cinema, I, I say no because I want to win this medal. And now I'm, like, doing all those same things. But it's just, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like if I could explain it, it's just, like, relief. Like, oh, I've done it. I'm an Olympic medalist and no one can ever take that away from me. So now I can just, like go into competitions and not have the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like, oh, I need to do this. This needs to go right because then the knock-on is I need to be ready for the Olympics. It's like, well, let's just see what happens and have fun with it. And I do think that kind of weightless attitude, it might work in my favour. And the thing is, you can't fake that. And I could have said two years ago, oh, I need to just be like weightless and I need to be relieved. But you can't fake that. And I still didn't have an Olympic medal back then. So I couldn't just be calm. Whereas now it's genuine. I can just be more relaxed, more like carefree, almost like the weight of the world off my shoulders. And that is genuine now. It must take for you and, and Olympic athletes that are striving for medals and striving to do, be their best. You're training so much and you have that goal, that tunnel vision that you spoke about. It must take an effect on personal life and, and your social life. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of athletes call it sacrifice and me and my coach talk about this a lot. Like it's not a sacrifice because I choose to do it. Like I could choose if I wanted to eat a cookie every day or I could choose on Friday nights when my friends go out or go to the cinema, I could choose to go there and still be an athlete. And it, it's choices, not sacrifice. And I have, there has been a lot of choices that I've put on hold to maintain this athletic career. One of them is living away from family, not seeing them every day. You know, my granddad passed away two years ago and I and I've spent the last 10 years away from Lancashire so I didn't see as much of him that I would have liked my grandma now is really quite ill um and although I managed to go home and see her a lot again like I've not been there and and it's the same with um we me and my husband would really like to start a family but we can't because I'm an athlete and all down to the little things of like of course I want to go to bomb bomb every week and have a hot (laughs) chocolate and a cookie but I don't and I think there's all these choices that I have made which have helped me be super successful but I think it's just thinking I just think they're worth it and for some athletes um it's not worth it and I see how talented athletes are but unfortunately they just want to have a cookie every week and they want to go out and that's absolutely fine but for me I had to make all those choices to be successful um and I don't ever regret them but what I am looking forward to is in the next two years you know the next chapter of my life where I am going to move back home start a family and I can have a cookie every day if I want <laughs> <laughs> yeah well moving speaking of moving forward you're you're going back to education at the moment talk us through what what the uh, the motivation behind that is and what you're doing yeah I think there's a couple of motivations I've always liked studying I know a lot of people don't but I do I like um, reading I like learning especially if it's a topic that I really am into which is sports psychology so studying um, sports psychology MSc isn't a chore for me it's something that I enjoy it helps me in my pole vault but it also gets my brain going in other areas and thinking about like learning about new topics really just excites me but I also acknowledge that I'm going to retire at the age of 32 33 whatever age I'll be and I a need to earn money for the rest of my my life you know being a female pole vault we don't earn buckets of money like I've, I've made a really good living and I'm very very appreciative of that but for the lifestyle that I want to lead and 
I'm going to need to work, but I also want to work. I don't just want to stay at home. I'm quite an ambitious person. So for me, getting a job and furthering myself in that kind of domain is something that I'm passionate about. So yeah, studying my MSc now, finish that at the end of this year. And then, you know, the potential is to go and do a PhD and then kind of off the back of that, get a job in whatever kind of crops up. People ask me what I want to do. And whilst I have... I have got the academic side, so like lecturing at a university or the sports psychology kind of researcher side. If British Athletics had a job they wanted me to do, you know, I'm open to that. Or if England Athletics or whatever, I'm open to like options after I retire. And I think I've covered a lot of bases to set myself up, which is was really important to me. I imagine that's a really interesting topic, sports psychology, and especially at the moment when that's 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 a massive topic, isn't it? Yeah, I think for me. Early on in my career, I really dismissed it. I had a couple of negative experiences with sports psych and there is a stigma around it. And I definitely felt like that. I was like, no, there's nothing wrong. I'm really mentally strong. Like, why do I need to see a sports psych? Whereas now, even if there's not, there's no problem, I reach out to my sports psychologist who I've worked with for 10 years and we're like, how can I get better? Like right now I'm really mentally strong, but how can we use sports psychology to enhance my performance? Why would we not tap into that area? And I think for me, promoting that to young athletes and to athletes is really important. I think it can help a lot and it's helped me perform to a much higher level just by having that like sports psychology support. That's really interesting when you said they're treating it as proactive rather than reactive, like developing strength before something, you know, before something, you know, issues take place. That's really, really interesting. You're speaking today at the National Running Show, social media myth. Talk to us what your involvement is with that. So at the start of my career, I was kind of in that like that age bracket where, I mean, I was in high school all the way up to like year 11. So like 15, 16, I didn't even have a phone. I think I had like one of those rubbish Nokias that I could just ring. <laughs> yeah. So I've just like not grown up with technology and then kind of going into like the adult years. So like 21, 22, all the way up to my 30s, it's just like kind of boomed and boomed out of control. And the early age, uh, stages of my career when social media was just getting going, it, there was kind of the that transition of what do I do? I, po- I post a picture online and then people comment on it and like it. Oh, that's strange. So I would, but because I was, it, there's no, um, there's no, I mean, I've to- talked openly about this, but I, I was a very talented young athlete at 18, 19, 20, but I, I was carrying puppy fat. I was in that stage where I, I boomed onto the scene up to like world champs level but my body and almost like my maturity hadn't caught up with that I didn't know what being a pro athlete was like I didn't even know what the Olympics was until someone said to me two years out from London oh are you going to try and qualify for the Olympics and I'm like wait what is this like Olympics thing wow that's amazing and and I was like so I'd post on social media and people would be like oh she's really unathletic just imagine what she would do if she lost loads of weight oh she's really fat and at one point if you googled my name the first thing that would come up wasn't like Holly, Holly Bleasdale Olympics or Holly Bleasdale Povo, it was Holly Bleasdale Fat. And that for me was like a wake-up call, like, oh, wait, like these people are like calling me out. Like it, it was just a bit of a shock that this kind of platform was there and I was like ex, almost exposed and it was I was kind of thrust into it. So I had a really negative kind of start with social media and I've all, almost always held like a grudge against it and almost been like sceptical, like, oh, I don't want to put something out there because what if people like hate on me? And I think I still have that kind of thought. But what I do like about social media now is I can really voice 
really important topics and have really good responses from that. Like I really like to interact with people. Um, I'm looking, you know, I'm, I don't have millions of followers. So the people that message me, I will respond to them individually. And just recently I actually put out a post of, I, I was browsing the, the Levi website and there was a, what I first noticed was there was a range of different sizes of models. And I was like, great. I love this. The mm. fact that they're not all one size, they're not all really slim. There's a range of sizes was great, but next to the, slightly bigger models which are my size they're not like big was in brackets plus and I just was like I that doesn't sit well with me like that's just a size it shouldn't be branded as plus so I put that out on social on my Instagram story I was like, what does everyone think about this and the responses that I got were amazing and I was like learning from them and I was responding back to them and that's where I think social media is really useful that's interesting it's like yeah plus 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 what well then what is the yeah what is that that point it's really interesting and that's how you use social media in, in, in a constructive way. I think everyone knows that there are pit, pitfalls and there are areas where it can be negative and you can get into the wrong side of things. But when it's used like that and you have positive conversations and you can, you can be an inspiration because I'm sure there are you know, young people looking up to you and your journey and they're like, oh, I'd, I'd like to try pot vaulting and I'd like to do that. Do you, do you ever think about that? Do you ever try, you know, go and inspire or is it kind of when people come to you, you're happy to talk? It never used to be, but I think I'm, I'm quite like – you know, if someone was to say, oh, you're an Olympic medalist, I'm really, like, introverted and, like, like I don't, even me, even me calling myself humble, I'm like, oh, am I being arrogant by calling myself humble? But I, I just... say the word humble. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very, like, I, I don't like to blow my own trumpet. I'm very, like, oh, no, I'm, like, okay. Um, so I think on social media for a while, people will be like, you're such an inspiration. I'm like, no, am I really? But I've kind of, like, grabbed hold of that now and I just want... I want to be, I think I have this opportunity to be a realistic role model. Like I'm not out there with a six pack. I'm not ripped. I'm just this, I want to be portrayed as like the girl next door. Cause that's really what I am. Like I've worked hard to where I've got to. I wasn't born with like crazy genetics, which meant I just took to pole vault like that. I've worked hard and I want, and I'm, and I'm not the typical athlete shape. So I want people to look at me and think I can do what she's done she doesn't look anything special. She's not kind of doing anything special, but she's creating amazing results. And I want to use my platform for that. And I think Paul Vault doesn't get a lot of love on social on um, the TV. So me putting myself out there not only raises the profile of trying to get kids into Paul Vault, but that I'm out there competing in long shorts, a tight, I've got my stomach covered, I've got my thighs covered, because that's where I'm comfortable. And I think showing people that that's an option. I think one of the saddest things for me is I have, hundreds of girls message me on Instagram saying I dropped out of the sport because I can't attain the bodies that some athletes have and I don't want to have my thighs out I don't want to wear the knickers and I'm not saying that athletes shouldn't wear the knickers and crop top it it's it's about what you're comfortable in if you're comfortable wearing a crop top and knickers great that's awesome but what I'm kind of trying to promote is you can be out there in the Olympics wearing long shorts and a vest and and still perform well and I think by using my social media platform for that, hopefully girls are looking, oh, well, Holly's wearing like a tight vest and shorts. That's what I'd want to wear. So yeah, I'm going to keep doing athletics because that's an option rather than, I mean, yeah, if I was a kid on social media right now, I mean, I work really hard on my nutrition, but I know I'm never going to get a six pack, which is why I wear a, um, a tight kind of top to cover up my stomach because I'm really conscious about it. And I just want young athletes to not drop out the sport because of what, they think they need to wear and I think that's where so my social media platform has been really important because the sport's not about what you wear it's about what you know 
It's getting, about what we're doing. It's not line and getting over the getting over the pole. Like that's what it's. That's yeah, about. it's it's we're out there doing sport, and I want to get my ass as high as I can in the air over the bar because that's what's going to win you medals. It's not how we look doing it. It's am I comfortable? A lot of people have said like because I've been petitioning for more options, and a lot of people have said there are options. You could wear a t-shirt and leggings if you wanted, but I'm like I want to be comfortable. Like a lot, there's so many issues as to why young girls and young boys drop out of sport. And I just think what we wear doesn't need to be, that can just be eradicated. That that just shouldn't be something that puts athletes off. It's a decision that doesn't need to be part no. of it. I completely no. agree. Holly, it's been, it's been amazing. Two quick questions before, before we let you go. One, at what point in the run or the, the jump do you go, this is going to be a good one or this is not going to be a good one? <laughs> so it's at takeoff. So as soon as I plant the pole and take off, I know yeah, I've nailed this. I'm, I can just tie, it almost comes effortless. It's like sweet takeoff, boom, like almost like a golf swing. When you hit that ball, you're like, yeah, I know. But then if you like close or far, you know, you're just fighting against it. And it's almost like autonomous in my brain. If, if it's gone really well, I don't have to think about anything. It just happens. Whereas if something hasn't gone well, my brain's like, okay, well, you need to do this with your arm to do this, to get over the bar. And oh, you need to do this with your hips. So it's kind of that moment at takeoff where you're like, yeah, I've nailed it or you've not. You can see when you watch it on TV sometimes when they go, oh, no, they've just pulled out. They just know. They've yeah. just through, like, oh, it's there, again. There's like a point in the, like at that takeoff, there's like, and there's like the sweet spot. Then there's like a margin of error where you're like, I could try and make this work. And then there's, there's the time where you're like, no, I'm just not <laughs> even going to try. I'm just going to bail and like not even, it's not worth my energy. So what you said earlier about, um, about supporting each other just, just came back to when I was watching uh, Tokyo in, um, I'm sure it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in the men's pole vault when I think, I can't remember his name, but is it the, the Swedish pole vault? Yeah, Mondo. Who, who was um, basically going for the world record and everyone he was everyone was kind of like, he, this is what's going to happen, it's kind of written. And there was a nice moment where everyone was watching, everyone was clapping, like really, he had like three attempts to go for it. Yeah. Obviously, unfortunately, didn't quite get it, but it, that was a really, really nice moment, I think yeah simplifies what you were saying earlier. yeah I think the fact that all the boys are out there still clapping and yeah Mondo kind of is a bit uh is like a bit detached from the pack he is elite in a league of his own so I think it's easier for the boys to just almost detach from him yeah. and just be happy for his success but on the women's side it ha- it's the same like if you know when Kate and Ajot had won she was going for the next bar we were all there clapping yeah. willing her to go on I think it's just testament to like where we are and how strong we are as a group and also all the pole vaulters like secure in their own skin they're not insecure and feel like they have to like be be like oh i'm like not i'm not cheering for her because i don't want her to to mm. fail like to, to to get it or whatever yeah, yeah. I, I think it's we're all secure that we're doing the best that we can so it's easy for us to cheer on other people and then final question what do you love about being active um, I think it's how I feel um, being active and eating healthy and like having like the healthy lifestyle. I very rarely get sick and I just feel like energized every day. Like I'm not saying that I don't have often like when I woke up this morning, I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. But I think it's just feeling, I would not like a, like a Zen feeling, but I just feel like I'm doing all I can to be healthy. And I think that just gives me like energy and like almost I can't help but 
not be positive when I am active it just obviously like being active gives you these endorphins and I just think once you that's why people catch like the running bug once she like my mum did it she she she'd never run in her life started doing the couch to 5k and she was addicted for like 18 months and she just said she just felt so good about herself and I think that's what is so great about being active amazing it's been a pleasure thank you very much Holly. thank you for having me Well, that is all the time we had with Holly at the National Running Show South. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please make sure that you leave a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. And if you think there's someone that would enjoy this podcast and hearing about all the adventures and uh, stories from all the people that we have on the episodes, then please make sure to let a friend know. Also, again, a massive thank you to our season sponsors, Dry Robe. Make sure to check them out at dryrobe.com. Next week will be the final episode of season four. And if you want to do some homework for it, then I suggest watching Forrest Gump. It may seem weird now, but uh, it might make sense next week. Until next time, enjoy the outdoors.